podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Tuesday, February the 8th, brought to you by epindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location and access whatever it is you're geo-blocked from. So if you're a UK expat and you want to access a BBC iPlayer, whatever it is, libertyshield.com will get you where you need to go while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com. Use the code Router50 to get your router half price. That's Router50 to get your router half price. Get using and get your data protected. LibertyShield.com, the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks. Premier League is back tonight after the little sojourn for the international break. Or, you know, they tried to present it as a bit of a mid-season break, but it was really an international break where the South Americans were away, the African players were away. And now the FA Cup has been and gone, and it is time for Premier League action. We have three games tonight. Newcastle will play Everton in a game with quite a lot on the line. So Newcastle, as we know, have been dreadful this season, but they went big in January. And Eddie Howe is going to be under pressure to get results straight away coming back out of this break. They are 19th in the table. Everton are 16th in the table. They had quite a busy January as well, and they changed manager. So Frank Lampard will see his first Premier League action as Everton manager. Obviously a good win for Everton at the weekend when they beat Brentford 4-1 in the Cup. But this will be a bigger test. Going to St. James's in a game that Newcastle really cannot afford to slip up in. This will be a big test for both teams. Going into it, we know that neither team will be at full strength. Everton will be without Abdoulaye Dukure and Ben Godfrey. So that's two guys that would be starting for them. No Fabian Delph, no Tom Davies. That's two valuable squad players gone as well. We may see Donny van de Beek or Deli Ali make the debut. We may see Patterson get some run at right back. It'll be interesting to see if Lampard sticks with the back three he used at the weekend. Maybe he brings Michael Keane in. And goes with Keane on the, on the, in the center and Mina on the left with Holgate on the right of the back three, something along those lines. Michaelenko was the wing back and then obviously played Seamus Coleman there at the, at the weekend, which 
it, wing back probably suits Coleman a little bit better at the at this stage of his career than full back does. But before I go into the game, I do just want to say, Glenn Hoddle, shut up, shut up. What Glenn Hoddle said about Delhi Ali is just one of the more ridiculous things that you're going to hear come out of anybody's mouth. What absolute mindless drivel from a guy who really should know better. I didn't like the way he walked out on the pitch wearing what he was wearing. I thought he just got dragged off the street, to be honest. He's wearing a pair of jeans. Now, they're they're quite ambitious, these jeans, but they're a pair of jeans, a jumper, a coat, a beanie, and he's got an Everton scarf on. There's absolutely nothing wrong with what he's wearing. And if he's comfortable and he's kept warm on what was a cold night or cold evening on Merseyside, well, he's fine. Leave the boy alone. Let him dress the way he wants to dress. What do you want him to do? Put on a suit to walk out and walk around the football pitch? It's absolutely ridiculous. Glenn Hoddle needs to shut up. That that man's mouth cost him the England manager's job. You'd think he would have learned. You would have think by now he would have learned. Though I will say his... His autobiography did make interesting reading, uh, and his digs at the FA and the people that you know make the decisions of the FA were were well founded and quite quite witty. But still, Jesus Christ, let the lad wear what he wants to wear. Anyway, tonight's game, I think we might see one of Delhi or Donny start, with the other one coming off the bench. Uh, obviously, Calvert Lewin. Should be back for this one. The hope is that he'll be back anyway. He missed the weekend's game. They'll be hoping to have him in the lineup. But they did look quite good at times going forward. Now, obviously the fourth goal was at the end of a long period of possession. It's more bad than good, that goal. Not from an Everton point of view, from a Brentford point of view. The Brentford defending, their pressing was lazy. The defending was dreadful. The goalkeeper was shocking. Everton were very, very fortunate to get into the position they got into. The attack had broken down a number of times, but Brentford had just given up at that point. But it was a positive sign that Everton were trying to be progressive. Now, I saw some people discuss Lampard ball on social media. That's not a thing. It really isn't a thing. I saw an Everton fan say, just wait till the coaching kicks in. These are players that were just coached by Carlo Ancelotti and Rafa Benitez, two vastly superior coaches to Frank Lampard. I'm not sure what you think Frank Lampard and co. are going to be able to do that Carlo wasn't or that Rafa wasn't. Tonight's a big test. Newcastle, they're without some players as well. Obviously, they've had bad news about Callum Wilson and it looks like he's going to be out for the long term, they're hoping he's going to make it back for the last few games of the season, which doesn't bode well. Jamal Lewis was left out of the the squad for the rest of the season, as was Isaac Hayden. Dan Byrne has a toe problem. They're hoping he'll be okay, but, you know, you never know, fella that big. Dodgy toe, who knows. Matt Ritchie and Paul Dummett are both injured. They're not very good either. And Federico Fernandez, they're hoping he'll be back at the end of this month. So, Look, Newcastle have their issues. I think the hope will be that Bruno Gomerich will get his debut. He's their 
their big bet in January. He's the one that saved the window for them. Other than that, it was a very uninspiring window. But, um, yeah, I think Newcastle can certainly get something here. I think they'll cause Everton some problems. I think Howe's had a lot longer to work with Newcastle than Lampard has had with Everton, so that gives him an advantage. The midfield battle will be key. I'm curious to see what kind of midfield Eddie Howe shapes up. If Gamera starts, who's in there with him? Is it Shelby? I don't like that. Is it Longstaff? That could be better. Longstaff at least can go box to box a bit. It's a bit more aggressive as well while, while being controlled, as opposed to Shelby, who when he gets aggressive, it's just bad things happen. Bad things happen. Other, to other people's shins, less so to him, other than the red cards he'll pick up. Uh, will Jolington play in that midfield three? Will it even be a midfield three? What, what sort of shape is he going to play? I'm curious to see. I'm looking forward to this game. I think Toon will be up for this one massively, but Everton will definitely have the tails up after the weekend. I can see a draw in this one, so I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. I don't think it'll be the most aesthetically pleasing game of football, but what I will say is that Bruno Gomerish is always going to be worth your while. Now, what I will say is he's drank a bit of the Kool-Aid. Uh, Newcastle's new signing, Bruno Gomerish, says... He signed for the club because he believes that one day they can win the Champions League and become a significant force in world football. My bet is he signed for the club because they offered an enormous bag of money and because his agent steered him in that direction. It was clear Leon needed to move him on. He was too too good to play, you know, in for Leon anymore. He clearly outgrown them. But he's his agents are Diego Carlos's agents, and I think those agents very much want to be in business with Newcastle, knowing that there's a, a lot of financial benefits that will come from doing deals with Newcastle over the next few years where they're not going to be as appealing while they figure out who they are. You look at Manchester City in the early days, they signed a lot of players that were represented by the same agents and they were sort of second-tier stars rather than the real star names. They started to get a bit later when they had success. They started to bring in the likes of Yaya and Silva and and uh, Aguero. But, um, yeah, I think we'll see a similar thing here. Now, like I said, Gamerish is excellent. And I think he's a big step up. But keep an eye for all of the following names being linked with Newcastle in the next six months. Diego Carlos, Matthias Cunha, Roger Ibanez. David Neres, now I know he's just gone to Shakhtar, but that's never stopped anyone before. Dodo, who's a really promising young right-back. Danilo is the one I would really keep an eye on. Brilliant defensive midfielder at Palmieri's. Outstanding footballer. Would be the ideal partner for Gamerish in midfield as a yin and a yang. So keep an eye on him. Even as... Cunha and Carlos, all as potential summer deals for Newcastle because they're all represented by the same agent, as is Marquinhos, but he already got his move to uh, an oil power. I don't think he'll make another one. Uh, Renier is another one to keep maybe an eye on. It hasn't gone particularly well for him at Borussia Dortmund, but he's a hugely talented player that Real Madrid might be looking to move on. But there's a lot of players there that I think they will look 
to bring in the direction of Newcastle. Another one that could be of note is Oscar. Obviously, was at Chelsea, made a decision in the prime of his career to go to China for the money. He knows the Premier League. He's good enough to play in the Premier League. He might be one that they look to bring in as well. But um, yeah, those are the names that I think to keep an eye on. I think we'll see a lot of these players linked with Newcastle over the coming months because uh, if you get good connections with an agent, with a good stable, why not exploit it? Why not exploit it? Anyway, uh, I'm going to go 1-1 Newcastle versus Everton. Also tonight, West Ham United versus Watford. This is fifth in the table, West Ham. 18th, Watford. At the London Stadium, I think you've got to fancy West Ham going into this game. Now, obviously, they have some injury issues of their own. Uh, Lucas Fabianski is... I think he's got COVID. They're hoping, hopeful to have him back. But if not, they do have Ariola, who's excellent. Uh, Kurt Zuma, I'm going to come back to him. Uh, he's got a knee injury. They're hopeful he'll be okay. Uh, Lanzini, they hope that he's okay. He's got a bit of an Achilles thing that he's kind of managing. And then Ogbon and Masuaka are out long term. Uh, Kurt Zuma is, um, is the, the latest footballer to have himself involved in something that is rather deplorable. Uh, he is seen on video kicking a cat and then slapping the cat. Now, I'm not a cat person, but a cat is a defenseless animal. And Kurt Zuma is a large human being who really does need to be taken out and given the few slaps to educate him on why it's not okay to kick and slap any animal. Any animal. It's really not okay. Uh, I hope that there are charges brought against him. Now, obviously, I've seen people say, you know, West Ham should sack him. And I'm not disagreeing with that, but we can all be fairly certain they're not going to. They're not going to. I mean, if he punched and kicked a person, they wouldn't sack him. I don't think anyway. So I, I just don't see them doing it. Um, but he should be fined. I think he should be fined. I think he should be prosecuted. I don't know what the the punishment is or should be. I'm not a judge or a jury, so I'll leave that to other people smarter people, more educated people than me to decide. Uh, but I do think he should be prosecuted to whatever extent the law allows. And I think West Ham should probably fine him and warn him about his future conduct. And I think his apology was pathetic. And I think he needs to show a bit more contrition is the, the long and the short of it. So, um, yeah, Kurt Zuma, do better. Don't be a scumbag. and. Um, let me tell you, if it was one of my dogs he'd kicked, you'd be getting far more than a slap on the wrist. That's all there is to that. Uh, Watford come into this game. No Nkulu. Unlikely to have Ishmael Assar because I think he's in Senegal. Uh, Quadro Bather hoping to have back soon. He's been out all season with the injury. Peter Atibo is back in training and he's a big plus for them. Another good option in midfield. So they're going to have four good options in midfield. Um, Sissoko, Kayamba, Luza, and him. That's four good options. There's no reason for Tom Cleverley to be playing. No reason for Kuka to be playing. Get them out of the rotation. Focus on your good players. Rob Elliott, he's ruled out, but he was never going to play anyway. Um, 
given recent form, West Ham have lost back-to-back games, but Watford have been atrocious. Um, with Roy, they obviously got you know their first point against Burnley at the weekend. And I think Roy would very much be in favour of taking a point here. But Roy will also know that there are certain games that West Ham, or that, that Watford rather, can win, certain games they can draw, and certain games they're likely to lose. And I think the mission tonight will be to try and get a draw, but if you lose, don't lose heavily. I think that's what Hodgson will look for, because he will know this could well come down to goal difference at the end of the season, and their goal difference is favourable against Newcastle, which is why they're currently ahead of Newcastle in the table. It's also favourable against Norwich. And if Everton do get dragged back into this, Everton's isn't a whole lot better than uh, where Watford's is right now. And under Lampard, they're likely to get worse defensively because that's what he does. So Hodgson will be conscious of that goal difference. He'll be conscious of keeping it, you know, sort of in the minus 20 to 25 range for as long as he can. Win, draw, or don't get hammered. That's the Hodgy man, Hodgy mantra, and he'll pick games where he, pay, he, 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 you know, he has a fair idea of what's going to happen. I will say, I think West Ham win this game two 0 tonight. Bowen's in such good form. Rice is playing really well. I expect a bounce back from Fornals, who's had a couple of quieter games. Uh, Lanzini would be a big one, but they'll have Ben Rama back after the Afcon, so that's a big help. They've Got to start defending slightly better, though. They've just been a little bit below where you need to be from a defensive point of view this season. They have the second worst defensive record in the top half after Leicester. Now, United have the third worst, and they're one spot ahead of them. And they have scored more than United. They've got a better goal difference. But United aren't the bar to be measuring yourself against. You know, you want to be looking at the teams above. You want to keep track with them. You've got to look at them and what they do. They are all plus 30. And I've long had the theory, and it works out, that if you can finish a season with a goal difference of plus 30, you will get top four. There's only been one occasion, well, technically two, but there's only been one real occasion where a team finished with a goal difference of plus 30 and did not get Champions League football across the big five leagues in the last 32 years. Every team with plus 30 is a top four team. Guaranteed. The only team that wasn't was Arsenal, who finished fifth, and the four teams above them all had plus 30, and Arsenal had the worst goal difference. The only other team who technically didn't end up with Champions League football was Fiorentina, who finished second, but got caught up in Calciopoli, had points deducted and ended up finishing like seventh. But they would have been a top four team. So you get plus 30, that's where you'll get Champions League football. And if that's your aim, that's what you've got to target. Plus 30 goal differential. That's why Leicester will continue to fail under Brendan Rodgers. Because he can't set a team up good enough defensively. Moyes is capable of setting a team up to defend really well. This season, they have not done that. Part of it is Ogbonna's injury. Zuma's had injuries. But they've got to get better defensively. Simple as that. Um, The final game then tonight is Burnley against Manchester United at Turf Moor. Burnley are bottom of the league. 
United are obviously currently sitting in fourth place. Now, I saw Ralf Ranić came out and said he thinks the club are improving on the pitch despite the shock exit to Middlesbrough. What I will say is I don't disagree with him. I think they've been better in possession than they had been previously. They're starting to develop some patterns of play which are completely new to United. They haven't had any for the last few years because Ollie wasn't a coach, he was a PE teacher. They're starting to develop little automations in attack, little curved runs and timing things, and it's working quite well. They're creating opportunities. They missed some great chances, obviously, against Middlesbrough. They missed a penalty as well. But defensively, I don't think they've improved. I actually think they're getting a little bit worse. I think they look a little bit shakier at the back. Now, that's in part because they're committing more men forward, so it is sort of understandable. The other thing that Ranić said that I did agree with and I thought was probably the smartest thing I've heard come out of Manchester United in the nine years since Ferguson left is if Man United have not won the title in the last 10 years, there must be some good reasons for that. Everyone on the inside of the club would be happy if we finished fourth at the end of the season and me too. That obviously won't sit well with United fans. Now, I don't believe for one second that starting this season, anybody within the realms of Old Trafford would have said, we're happy with fourth. They brought Sancho in, they brought Varane in, they brought back Cristiano, they spent a lot of money, they massively increased their wage bill again, and they clearly positioned themselves as what they thought was going to be a title challenger. But that was unrealistic because they didn't have a good enough manager to sustain a title challenge. They had no midfield. And they had a bunch of pieces that didn't really work all that well. And when you look at the long and the short of it, United have spent an obscene amount of money to have a squad that's still quite a long way short of a title challenging squad. On talent alone, they probably should get top four. You know, you look up and down their squad, it's probably the fourth best squad in the league behind the top three. Squad-wise, it's better than Spurs, it's better than Arsenal, it's better than West Ham, it's better than Wolves and Leicester and Brighton. But individual parts don't make a team. And one of the problems they've had for the entirety of the post-Ferguson era is that they've been trying to buy a team rather than build a team. And seeing them say fourth would be good is refreshing because it's an acceptance of where they are. And for a long time, now this might just be Ranić's words, this might, might not be the view internally. I'm sure it's not the view of the fans. But United are not nearly as good as Liverpool, not nearly as good as City. And not nearly as good as Chelsea. They just aren't. They might put 11 players down on paper who are close to the level of the best 11 of the other three clubs. But when you look at a team and how a team functions, they're just not there. You've got 
some really good attacking options. Now, obviously, those options have taken a hit in recent weeks. Martial going on loan, the Mason Greenwood situation, and on that, I think Nike have officially dropped him. So they had suspended their relationship with him, but now they have come out and dropped him officially. Uh, Mason Greenwood is no longer a Nike athlete. And that's obviously only the start of where this is going to go. He has, I believe, been released on bail, having been arrested and then retained in custody on further charges after the the audio footage and the pictures came out that weekend. He has a lot of trouble coming his way. And at, from the outside looking in, it looks like he deserves every single thing that comes upon him. But from a footballing point of view, from a Manchester United point of view, losing him is a big, big loss because he is a special talent. He is someone that they would have been planning to build around for the next decade or more. So there they lose him. But they've still got Sancho, they've still got Rashford, they've still got Cavani, they've still got Cristiano, they've still got Lingard, they've still got Mata, they've still got Alanga. So there's still talent there. But that is all the type of talent who want to play front-footed football. And when you have Cristiano and Cavani as your number nines, you don't really want them having to do a lot of defensive work. So you don't really want to be the type of team who sits deep, invites teams on and springs the counter. But unfortunately, Cavani's best, or sorry, Rashford's best form has come in counter-attacking United teams. So he needs to alter his game a little bit. He's more than capable. The talent is unquestionably there. And he will be able to play in a front-footed team. We've seen Sancho play in front-footed ball-dominant teams at, at Dortmund, and they do suit him. As long as you're not relying on Sancho to be an out-and-out winger, as long as you don't want him getting chalk on his boots, beating a man on the outside, and swinging crosses over, you will get good stuff from Sancho. What Sancho was best at is tight spaces, quick interchanges. When there's movement, there's overlaps. And when there's runners from midfield, you will get the best at it, Jaden Sancho. You get movement up front, that overlapping fullback, and a runner from midfield, Sancho will do the rest. He is a tremendous footballer. We know that Bruno's a tremendous footballer. We've seen what Bruno's done. And he's another front-footed footballer, another one that doesn't really want to be sitting deep and having to play on the counter. The problem is they don't have a midfield to support any of this. To play a ball-dominant style, you need to have midfielders who can control the game. Fred can't control the game. Fred is much better in transition. Fred is a, is a counter-attacking footballer. Scott McTominay is a counter-attacking footballer. Matic can play in a controlling team, but Matic is too old to have on the pitch. So you don't have the midfield. Then what do you not have? You don't have a defence that can play in a high line. Raphael Varane wants to play in a high line. Harry Maguire does not. Harry Maguire is incapable of playing in a high line. Why did United buy Varane to partner Maguire if they're not a partnership that play similar ways? Because Varane was the big name. That's why. 
Varane was a big name who had been linked with United for years. And it was a lazy signing to try and get the fan base excited. I said this at the time. This is not me saying this in hindsight. In the summer, they needed a defensive midfielder. They needed a centre-back. And they needed a different option at right-back. That was what they needed to play a 4-3-3, which is what I think they should have been playing all along. And that 4-3-3 for me was going to be Greenwood on the right, Rashford on the left, Martial through the middle. Now, you're banking on Martial rediscovering the form from a couple of years ago, but I, I would always back his talent. Then in midfield, you go Bruno, you go Fred. Now, again, I know I've said Bruno and Fred don't suit the same style of play, but in midfield, you can make it work because you can use your possession-based six and Bruno as an attacking eight for ball possession. When you're counter-attacking, you go with your six and Fred and Bruno's your off-ball runner. In transition defense, Fred becomes vital. He drops in next to your six and all of a sudden you get that two-man platform in front of your defense and that works really well. So they should have been targeting a defensive midfielder to come in and complete what would have been a front six. A title-winning front six? No. But a top four front front six? Absolutely. And one that could be developed together. So you go big on Ndidi or you bring in Chuameni. One of those two. There's others as well. But those two would have topped my list. Ndidi would have been number one. I would have gone big on him. 70, 75 million if need be. Get him to plug that midfield. And he will take care of a lot of the rest. As I said at the time, I would have sold Pogba. You probably would have gotten 30, 40 million for him in the summer. And I think that would have put a substantial chunk towards Ndidi. Instead, they took that 75 million and they brought in Jaden Sancho. And now you're looking at it thinking, okay, so he's going to play one of the wings, which means either of Greenwood or Sancho's playing through the middle or Rashford is sit- sitting out and Martial is going to play through the middle. Because I think you have to have Greenwood. Going into this season, if given the choice between Greenwood and Rashford, or Rashford, you were taking Greenwood. So that's fine. If that's what you want to do, that's okay. And Rashford then can be your sub through all positions. And that's fine. And Bruno's your 10. And maybe that's what you do. Or, you know, you could stick with 4-3-3. But whatever it is you're doing, you're still going to need that midfielder. Well, they didn't do that. They instead went and they bought Cristiano Ronaldo, who didn't make sense for them at all. So spending the money on Sancho as opposed to buying the midfielder that was needed, that's an example of trying to buy success rather than build for success. Bringing Cristiano is the same thing. Trying to rush something that's not ready just yet. It's like if you're baking a cake and it's got half an hour left and you think, God, I only want it to take 10 minutes, and you turn it all the way up, as opposed to keeping it at a, you know, a comfortable 180, you turn it up to 225 and you just burn it because it wasn't ready and it comes out awful. That's what United have done. Defensively, you look at the situation of you've got an uber-defensive-minded right-back who's not good enough on the ball to be anything else other than potentially a lockdown fullback, But he still has some flaws in his defensive games. He's not really good enough to be that either. Luke Shaw's a a good player, not a great player. Had a great season last year, 
but he's not someone that you can really run your team through. You need to have one of your fullbacks you can really rely on just giving them the ball. Whenever you need an out ball, you just give it to him and he'll take care of it or he'll pick a pass. He'll make a good decision. He'll carry it 40 yards, whatever it is. Liverpool have two of them. City have a couple of them. That's what you need. United didn't have that, so they need to bring in a right back. Now, I think we all agreed Lindelof and Maguire wasn't going to win you the league, but they've proven they can get you top four. So if you're going to spend 40, 45 million, why not address a problem position at right back? Yes, you've already spent 50 million on Juan Basaka, but that was an example of you not knowing what you were doing as was spending 80 million on Maguire, never ever allow them to forget they paid 130 million for Aaron Wan-Bissaka off the back of one good season and Harry Maguire off the back of about a good 18 months. Never allow them to forget that because that's what happened. They spent 130 million on two lads that combined were worth probably 60 million. But then they compounded by bringing in... So, sorry, again, you could look at it and say, okay, Defensive right back, Shaw, better defender than going forward. Maguire, deep block. Lindelof, deep block. Maybe we just double down on this. And maybe with Ndidi and Fred in front of that, and maybe Bruno will adapt to what we want to do. We become, you know, a counter-attacking team, and we use the pace of of Greenwood and Rashford and Martial up front, and maybe that's what we just rely on. The pace of those three, Bruno's runs from deep, and we just become a team that grinds out results. But to do that, you needed to spend money on another defender who fit, fit that bill, fit that style. Instead, you bought Varane, who doesn't fit it at all. Varane wants to play high up the pitch. He wants to defend the halfway line. You can't defend the halfway line with Harry Maguire. You just can't. And if you're going to play that way, you need both of your fullbacks to be exceptionally good on the ball because they're going to see a lot of the ball because you're going to be a ball-dominant team. And like I say, Shaw's good on the ball. He's not great on, on it. Wan-Bissaka is genuinely a poor footballer on the ball. So you've got one side of the pitch you just can't play to. So now you become really predictable. It has to go left side. And the problem with playing like that is one of the things you really need to defend the halfway line is a goalkeeper that plays really high. And David De Gea doesn't leave a six-yard box. So you've got a keeper who won't leave a six-yard box. One of your centre-backs can't play on the, ha- on the halfway line because he's too slow. One of your full-backs can't play in the opposition half because he's not good enough on the ball. And you've got no holding midfielder to help you when you lose the ball. So you've got these big, big issues stopping you from being the team that you seemingly wanted to be. The team that you probably should have become, you didn't buy the players to complete the puzzle. You bought players that were counterproductive for that. And this is why I say they, they've been trying to buy a team rather than build a team. They haven't looked at, you know, we've got De Gea, who are the ideal centre-backs to put in front of him? You could argue Maguire is the ideal centre-back to put in front of him in a deep block. But who's next to him? It's certainly not going to be Varane. 
It just isn't going to be Varane. If you want the type of set, like remember as well, there was talk of them buying a left-footed centre back to go with Maguire, which would be to take Maguire from the position that he played at Leicester, that convinced you to buy him at eighty million and move him to a different position. So they didn't seem to know what they wanted at centre back, but Varane was the lazy target that they'd had sort of on the radar for years since Ferguson was there. They'd never quite gotten over him turning them down and going to Real at the last minute. And they had an obsession. They had an obsession with Sancho because they'd been linked all the previous summer. They had an obsession with Cristiano because he'd been there before. He was theirs as far as they saw it. These were lazy signings. There was no thought put into this. There was no team building put into this. And you can look at Ollie's tenure and all of the players signed. There was no plan. There's no team building element to this. He never bought a central midfielder. He brought Bruno Fernandes in to play as his attacking midfielder and then went and bought Donny van de Beek who plays the same position. He had Greenwood and Rashford in wide positions and then went and bought, brought in Sancho to play in a wide position. He had Cavani and Martial as his nines. He brought in Cristiano. Now, is Cristiano a better player than Anthony Martial? Now, I don't know. He'll score you more goals. He'll be more reliable as a goal scorer. But if I look back a couple of years ago at Martial's season, that was better than what I'm seeing from Cristiano this season. And now Martial may be lost to United. And you can say it's no bad thing. He's inconsistent. He's been a disappointment. That's fine. But who's who's coming in instead? Because we're nine years into this, and I don't think anyone would argue that David De Gea is... He's having a good season. No doubt he's having a good season. But nobody's going to argue he's still the same calibre goalkeeper he was under Van Hal and Mourinho. Nobody's making that argument. And the limitations of his game, take away the shot-stopping and look at everything else you want a goalkeeper to do, he struggles in every other area. So he's not the ideal goalkeeper. Neither is Dean Henderson. So United need a goalkeeper. Juan Bissak is clearly not the answer at right back, but neither is Diogo Delot. So they need a right back as well. Your two centre-backs, they're really contrasting. And like I said, Maguire's too slow to play on the halfway line. Varane's not good enough at the basic fundamentals to play in a deep block. He makes too many small positional errors that are fine on the halfway line because his recovery pace and the distance to goal allows him to get back. If you make that mistake in your own 18-yard box, then you're in big trouble. And we've seen it exposed a couple of times this season. So United need to buy a centre-back. I Now, I don't think they will buy a centre-back because as far as they've, they're concerned, they bought... You know, four-time Champions League winner Rafa Varane and the world's most expensive defender Harry Maguire. They think they're set, but it's not a centre-back pairing that's going to work. Not if you want to win a title. Is Luke Shaw a left-back that can win your title? Maybe. Maybe. If the rest of the defence is, is spot-on, yeah, Luke Shaw will be fine. So they need two in defence and a keeper. They need at least one, if not two, in midfield. And they need a number nine. 
I can't six players United still need to buy on top of what they already have. And this is the team with the highest gross and net spend over the last decade. This is the team who have spent more than anybody else over the last decade. These are a group of lads who've gone out, spent an absolutely ridiculous amount of money time and time again and just never gotten it right because the recruitment process is all wrong. Their talent identification just, like I said, is, is very, very lazy. Very, very lazy. And when it comes down to it, they don't buy players that fit into a puzzle. They tend to buy players and then try to change them into what they want rather than just going and buying a player who's better fit, fitting to what they need. Since summer 2012, Manchester United have a gross spend of 1.5 billion. They've spent 1,545 million on transfers. I stand corrected. Manchester City have actually spent 1.7 billion. But City have brought in 700 million in sales, 715 million in sales. United have brought in 470. And United's net spend over that time is 1 billion and 75 million. City are next on 984 million. But City have won four league titles in the last 10 years. United have won none. Hilariously, Arsenal and Everton are the next two on the list, which, considering how their decades have gone, says that United aren't the only team with major recruitment problems. But United have spent, as a net spend, double what every other team in the league except for City and Arsenal have spent. And with Arsenal, they've still spent nearly 500 million more net. It's very funny that Arsenal, as a gross spend, have spent over a billion. Everton have spent 911 million. So clearly it's not just United, but you would expect that a team like United, a club like United rather, would really focus down on what other clubs are doing. You would imagine that there's got to be some smart people in the building who could look around and say, why are we getting left behind? What are the other clubs doing that we're missing? What are Liverpool doing? What are what are City doing? Like, the thing is, they can match City for money and they can match Liverpool for prestige. They're the only club that have both. The only club with unlimited funds, not unlimited funds, but close to it. They are a money-making machine. And unlimited prestige. They're one of the biggest clubs in the world. They're one of the three great clubs in English football, along with Liverpool and Arsenal. And yet, they just get it wrong over and over and over again. And when you look at the big mistakes they've made, it's always when they try to make that big splash. It's always when they try and make the fans happy. 
89 million for Pogba. Disaster. 60 million for Di Maria. Disaster. 80 million for Maguire. Disaster. This past summer. Disaster. And now you're in a spot where you need six starters. And those don't come cheap. And the problem is, because of how they've gone about spending, teams know United pay sticker price. So if you've got a player and you hear that United want him and you think to yourself, well, he's worth X amount, just add another 15, 20% to it. And United will pay what you ask. Or at the very least, they'll pay above what you think the player is worth. There is not one chance in hell that Leicester City actually thought Harry Maguire was an £80 million centre-back. They probably thought he's a £60 million centre-back. He wasn't, but they probably thought he was. They asked for 80, they got 80. Does anyone really think Crystal Palace thought Aaron Wan-Bissaka was a £50 million fullback? No, but they asked for it and they got it. Dortmund got what they wanted. All them years ago, Juventus got what they wanted. Monaco got what they wanted in the Martial deal and Sporting got what they wanted in the Bruno deal. United pay what's asked. And they think that they've got themselves a great deal just by getting the player. It's similar to what you see at Arsenal now. Edu pays sticker price and comes away and everybody wants to load him for it. United don't try and negotiate. They don't try and work deals down. They don't get favourable terms. So they, they identify talent badly and then they recruit the talent badly. It's the same in wage negotiations. Their wage bill's out of control. They can afford it because they make so much money, but still, you shouldn't be paying the biggest wage bill in the country for that group of players. You're paying Cristiano Ronaldo 26 million quid a year to not be very good. You're paying David De Gea 300 grand a week. You're paying Paul Pogba 350 grand a week. You're paying Sancho 250 grand a week. He's 21. He's 21. If he wanted to come to you, he would have come to you for 100 grand less. Because what other offers did he have? You outbid yourself for Jaden Sancho. Just like you outbid yourselves for Harry Maguire and Juan Basaka and Pogba back then. There was nobody, nobody else in the market. You overpaid. And because you overpaid, the player got a full sense of self-value and screwed you in the contract negotiations. And when that happens, and the first contract is way above value, every contract beyond that is way above value. Like Pogba, for example, the only thing United can do now is let him go on a free or sign him to a new deal. If they sign him to a new deal, he's going to want a pay rise. He's going to want 450 grand a week. Because they gave him that first stupid contract that was well above what he was worth. And also, by the way, five times what he was on at Juventus. Five times what he was on at Juventus. Where else was he going? Because Real Madrid pulled out and nobody else was in for him. 
There are so many problems at United from the top down. Bad decision making. There's nobody running the football side of the club who knows how to run a football club. There are businessmen who know how to run a business trying to run the football side of the club. And that's never going to work. Until they put in place somebody to run football operations and then a real structure underneath them with a director of football or sporting director, a technical director who'll take care of certain things and then compartmentalize everything and have the best people in place in terms of recruitment, analytics, sports science, health and recovery. They're just, they're going to be a mess. They're going to be a mess. And you can hire all the Bruno Ranjics, or Bruno Ranjics, all the Ralph Ranjics you want. You can hire all the consultants you want. But until one of them has actual real power in the corridors, nothing's going to change. And it will be jobs for the boys, and it will be, you know, a, a negotiation specialist. The head of negotiation, he, he's never negotiated anything in his life. He walks into a room and people rub their hands together and say, well, this is what we want. He says, okay. And he comes back out. You can just imagine the sweat pouring from him, sitting across from Mino Riola, as Mino says, Paul Pogba wants 450000 a week. If you don't pay him, he's leaving. Okay. So he either gives it to him or he doesn't give it to him because he doesn't have the ability to work that deal down. And either one of them is a, a bad outcome. So if he signs them, he's probably delighted. And it'll, it'll fool some people. There'll be some United fans that'd be thrilled if he signed a new deal. But it would not be a good, a good move. Anyway, United play Burnley at Burnley tonight. And they should win this game. United will go into the game with a few injury problems. Uh, they have Victor Lindelof hopefully back. They're hopeful that Eric Bailly will be back, but he did pick up some issues at the AFCON. Uh, Greenwood remains out for obvious reasons. Alex Tellez is uh, is injured, and so is Fred. They both have COVID, I believe. So um, they will both miss out. For Burnley, no Vidra, no Goodmanson. They're hopeful Charlie Taylor will be back, and Ashley Barnes is back in training and they're hopeful he might make the bench. I think United should win this game, even though it's away. They're fourth and Burnley are bottom. United should win this game. But I think it'll be pretty ugly. I'm going to go with a 1-0 Manchester United victory. I'm going to take a break. When we return, we will do the gossip. And then that's us for today. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, just the gossip, and then we are out of here for today. France striker Kylian Mbappe has been linked with a move to Real Madrid when his Paris Saint-Germain contract runs out, but the 23-year-old says he has not made a decision on his future. I tend to believe him. I do think he will end up at Real, but I don't think he's made the full decision just yet. Uh, West Ham manager David Moyes believes Declan Rice is worth more than £100 million, with Manchester United... Chelsea and Manchester City all thought to be interested in a summer move. Uh, he is not worth more than 100 million. He's about a 40 to 45 million pound football player. But 
his value on the transfer market is irrelevant. Sorry, his value on the football pitch is irrelevant to his value in the transfer market. On the transfer market, yeah, maybe he is worth a hundred million. He is worth whatever West Ham United feel like he is worth. That's basically the bottom line of it. And he's also worth what the buying team believe he's worth. So, for example, if if the team that approaches West Ham is Chelsea, I think Chelsea will look at Rice as a £60 million player. And they will say to themselves, at the minute he's a £60 million player, we think he can be an £80 million player, so we'll pay up to 70 and we still think we've come out with a good deal. City, I think, would do something similar. Though I don't, for one second, believe they have interest in him. Because they already have Rodri, who's better than him. And he's not really suited to playing as a six in a City or Liverpool-type team. He's a box-to-box midfielder in a Liverpool team and not good enough to start for them. He doesn't get the City team over any of their eights. United, he could start for, but not as a lone holding midfielder. He'd need a holder in there with him, the same as he has at West Ham, where he has Suchek. Now, if it's United who make the move and West Ham think, yeah, he's 100 million to us, they, they'll ask for 120. And United might think, well, he might be a 60 or 70 million pound player, but look, we want him and the fans want him, so we'll pay it. So he's worth whatever the selling club think he's worth and whatever they think they can rinse out of the uh, the buying club. Uh, Chelsea target Nicholas Sewell has agreed to join Borussia Dortmund in the summer. That one came through yesterday, just as we finished up. The more I think of it, the more I don't like this move for Dortmund. Um, he hasn't been the same since tearing his ACL. And I think he's got to play in the middle of a back three to be in any way effective. I don't think you can play him in a two with attack-minded fullbacks. So I'm curious to see how that works. Um, Arsenal have been dealt a setback in their pursuit of 24-year-old Christopher Nkunku after Orby Leipzig insisted the sought-after French playmaker will stay for at least another season. I don't believe he'll stay another season. I think that's them trying to set a high price on him. I also don't believe he was ever going to go to Arsenal. Kareem Benzema has demanded a meeting with Florentino Perez as he fears he may lose his place if Borussia Dortmund striker Erling Haaland arrives in the summer. You will lose your place if Haaland arrives. It's not that he's a better player than you right now. Benzema is better than Haaland. But Haaland is 21 and is going to just become a freak in age. He's a freak in age. He's going to become a monster. Uh, but Benzema will have offers anywhere he wants. If Benzema wants to leave, every club will queue up for him because the form he has displayed, uh, in particular over the last three years, but really over his entire tenure at Real Madrid. I mean, he's a Real Madrid legend. He's 13 years there now. He has played... 587 goals. He scored 300, sorry, 587 games, scored 303 goals. He got 27 in 1920. Sorry, in, if we go back to the season before that, he got 30 in 53 games, 27 and 48, 30 and 46. This season, 24 and 28. Like this guy's career went to a new level once Cristiano was out from under his feet. Just different class. And when you look at what he's won, for Real Madrid. Three league titles and a fourth on the way this season, it would seem. Two Copa del Reyes, three Super Cups, four Champions League, four U- uh, UEFA Super Cup, 
four-time World Club Cup champion. He is a, he's a Real Madrid legend, and um, he's in the form of his life at 34. So he will get a move wherever he is he wants to go. Uh, Manchester United have agreed a fee of 12 million for Andreas Pereira. James Garner is hopeful of staying at Manchester United next season as the 20-year-old English midfielder approaches the final months of his loan spell with Forrest. He's been very impressive. I don't know that he's ready to start for a Premier League team with ambitions of challenging for a title, but he's certainly going to be a better squad option than some of what we've seen in there this season for them. Wolverhampton Wanderers boss Bruno Lage has backed Adama Traore to earn a permanent £29 million move to Barcelona following his impressive first game. He did have a very impressive first game. He's created a goal, but I still think Barca have pulled the wool a little bit there. Uh, Bruno Lage wants to add a target man to his Wolves squad in the summer. Could have gone and bought Weghorst, £12.5 million. There for the taking. Uh, Leeds United did not entertain selling Rafinha in January, but expect interest in the Brazilian winger, English midfielder Calvin, Calvin Phillips, and French goalkeeper Ilan Melier in the summer. I'm not sure there'll be a whole lot of interest in Melier just yet. Super talented. Super talented. But still very error-prone. Still very raw. I think he, he's going to need a couple of years of seasoning before anyone goes near him. But Phillips and Rafinha will absolutely have offers galore. AC Milan are considering a summer move for Noah Lang. Noah Lang's having a really good time at Club Bruges and he is ready for a big move. Don't know if he's ready for that big move, but he's certainly ready to move on. Uh, Germany's left-sided wing-back Robin Gosen said he, was, said he considered an offer from Newcastle before opting to join Inter Milan from Atalanta in January. I mean, Gosens is a wing-back. Newcastle don't play a back three. He wouldn't have been a good fit there unless Eddie Howe was willing to move to wing-backs, which they don't have the centre-backs to, to play. So maybe in the summer it would have made more sense. Maybe they'd have brought him in now and tried to patch it together or even played him as a full-back and gotten 60% of what he can do and then in the summer add the centre-backs. But, you know, it, none of it is ideal. Former Spain and Chelsea striker Diego Costa hopes to sign for Fenerbahce before the Turkish transfer window shuts. But the free agent also has offers from Zenit St. Petersburg and Krasnodar in Russia. I'm surprised he has that much interest, considering I don't remember the last time Diego Costa was good. I really don't remember the last time he was good. He was pretty shambolic with Atletico Monero. Um he wasn't good with Atletico Madrid his last couple of seasons there, say his last two and a bit years. You're probably looking at the 17-18 season for the last time he was good. That was the season he played the second half of the year at Atletico, having gone back to Brazil and basically gone on strike from Chelsea. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's been particularly good ever since. Um Valencia are in talks to sign ex-Newcastle striker Joselu as the 31-year-old has decided not to renew his contract at Alaves when it expires in the summer. And obviously, he did not do particularly well with the tune. Uh, he was there for two years. He played a sum total of 52 games, scored seven goals. But he has done pretty well with Alaves in La Liga since going back to Spain. 
Uh, he's averaging about a goal every three games. He's obviously not a big-time goal scorer anyway. He's more that kind of second striker or that target man that you can play um, a goal scorer off. But um, I forgot he was at Stoke. I genuinely forgot he was at Stoke before he went to Newcastle. Didn't do well there either. Um, yeah, best of luck to him if he goes there. That's grand. Anyway, Everton and Leicester are among a number of Premier League clubs monitoring Bristol City and England under-19 under attacking midfielder Alex Scott. Very, very highly regarded player. Someone that is, I think, ready for a step up to the Premier League in the right role. So I don't think you want to be bringing him into the club to play regularly just yet, but certainly someone that could come in and play a squad role and be developed slowly in that squad role and get his minutes ramped up, say, over the next... If he moved in the summer, about 18 months of ramping up his minutes. Um, Yeah, very, very talented. Very, very talented. I think Bristol have a fight in their hands to to retain him. He's had a very good season so far in the championship. Three goals, two assists in about 1,590 minutes. So I do think he's one that Premier League clubs should be looking at. Um, he's from Guernsey. Actually played a season in Guernsey with their team there in the combined counties division one and uh, moved to Bristol. And he's done really well. Could be the best thing to come out of Guernsey since, no, Harry Lewis. <laughs> I don't know. Um, right, that's that then. That is all the gossip for today. That is me for today. Tomorrow is myself and Kevin DeVries. It will be part two of the, the transfer window review. Part one is out now on the EPL roundtable feed. So if you go in your podcast provider, Search EPL Roundtable. You'll hear me and Kev talk about Arsenal through to Leicester. And on part two tomorrow, we'll talk about Liverpool through to Wolves and give them grades on the business they did in the summer, whether we liked it, didn't like it, whether they could have done more or should have done more, or whether maybe they didn't do anything and it wasn't a bad thing for them. But that is tomorrow. And then Thursday, normal service resumes. It will be questions day, so do send in questions via Twitter or on the Discord channel, whichever works best for you. Take care of yourselves. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.